And there came a day, a day unlike... Wait, no, that's been done. Hmm. Who knows what evil lurks and... No, that is that other thing. What has yellow skin and rights? Ah, forget it. You're listening to Panelology. Excelsior, oh, damn it. Welcome to episode 216 of Panelology. I'm Alex. I'm Jenna. And I am Brian. How are we all doing this week? Go! Wow. Okay. Um, (laughs) Coming at this hot and heavy. With a weird energy today. (laughs) On the spot. Weird energy. I feel like I was on the spot this week. (laughs) And now. (laughs) (laughs) Look, some of us have used a week of furlough to try to reset our sleep cycles and accidentally, well, maybe not broken them entirely, but uh, <laughs> have become night walkers. Completely <laughs> nocturnal. Wow. Yes. Yeah, so I, think- I, have, I have fully recovered from my Thursday, which was indeed hell. Oh, so. no. I never yeah. could get a handle on Thursdays. <laughs> um, as someone who is a nocturnal person who lives in the diurnal? Is that it? Diurnal? Yes. Yeah. Diurnal world. I can't say that word at all. Wow. Um, I I empathize with you, sir. Yeah. It sucks to be awake in the day. I mean, a little bit like, okay, a lot bit, it is my default anyway. I just normally have a concept of time to kind of ground when I sleep around <laughs> so that I can exist in the world. But I no longer exist in the world. No, yeah. This is the problem. The world is a concept that no longer exists, much like time. (laughs) And um, nothing really matters. Anyone can see. Nothing really matters to To me. (laughs) I got it. Um, Which would be a great segue into the main event for this week. But first. (laughs) But first. But first. A bad segue. Dark Knight's Death Metal number one. I imagine we'll get into this more on a future date. Yeah. But I did read this uh, before we recorded today. And boy, howdy, does this take the insanity meter and just turn it all the way up and then snap it off and then throw it into Mount Doom. Um, Fantastic. I can't wait. <laughs> I do not know how we get here. No one in the book knows how we get here. Um but the thesis of the thesis of this book and this is on like the title page. Death Metal: An Anti-Crisis Part 1. It all matters. Oh my god, this so perfectly fits with what our main topic is for today. <laughs> yes. Um I could not have been more off in my segue, right? <laughs> This is a Wonder Woman story through and through. Um, it is bonkers, and things happen in this issue already that I did not expect to happen until maybe the last issue of this series. I am here for it. I will leave it at that because we will talk more later. Jin, me, tell me about wind. Oh, okay. Um, 
This is a book from Boom, uh, written by James Tynan, illustrated by Michael Dialinus, and lettered by Aditya Vidakar. You want me to tell you the rest of it? Uh, yes, but first <laughs> I just need to note, in my notes, and I probably should have said Death Metal, Scott Snyder, Greg Capullo, Jonathan Glapion, FCO Placencia, Tom Napolitano. The same team, you expect. Boom. Showing you up. Yeah. Uh, in my notes, next to Ryder, I just wrote Wind. The book wrote itself. <laughs> <laughs> but it was drawn by Michael Dialinus and uh, lettered by Aditya Bidikar. Mm-hmm. Yeah. True. Um, all that stuff. Fun, yep. Funness. Anyway, it's a, a story about a young boy named Wind um, who appears to be a young elf boy who lives in a world where there has been uh, some unfortunate racial cleansing. Um, so he's the last elf in his kingdom. And he has to hide out underneath a pub with this wonderful family who loves him very much. Uh, And every day he goes up to his little watchtower and watches the gardener's son, who he loves very much, uh, but does not know him. So there's a tiny creep factor there, but not much. I mean, it's pretty much just cuteness. Uh, And we find out that there is a certain plot to maybe get the prince of this this kingdom out of the way so that the duke can reign um and we don't we don't yet know all the significant details but it seems like maybe the duke is hopefully better than the king hopefully (laughs) um and maybe the prince is kind of in on it maybe hopefully maybe i don't know it's really good though it's super cute and i i really love it and and the art is fucking gorgeous Just the little watchtower. Oh, and how they move the food from the kitchen up into the tavern is adorable. He puts it on this, like, pipe system and then turns the pipes on and it just whooshes it up into their place setting. Like a a bank vacuum system? Like a pneumatic tube But with water. Nice. It's so cool. (laughs) Hydromatic tube system. Indeed. Automatic tube system. (laughs) No, no, it's manual. It's a grease light! (laughs) That's what I was looking for. Thank you. I know. You're welcome. <laughs> um, I have one question about this. It is like the next, second to next thing on my stack of books to read. This was written as a graphic novel. And then during the comics hiatus, they were like, we're going to chop this up and put it out in issues. Okay. Does it work in issue this way? Like, oh, was there yeah. Any... I think it I didn't see. I didn't even know that. I think it works cool. fine. Awesome. Um, not that it would stop me, but I was curious how how it took that transition. Yeah, yeah. It does it, it well? It takes it well. Good. All right. Now for the main event. Yeah. Doom Patrol, nineteen eighty seven, numbers nineteen through thirty four, or the beginning of the Grant Morrison run. Yeah. Artists are Richard Case, John Nyberg, Doug Braithwaite, Scott Hanna, and Carlos Garzon. Colorists are Daniel Vazzo and Michelle Wolfman. And it is lettered by John Workman. Um, I have definitely read all of this before for clearing the backlog. Um, I definitely do not have the cl- did not have the clearest recollection of all of it because I read it for clearing the backlog. And at some <laughs> at some point, you read three thousand issues in a year. They don't all stick. Especially when they're 
very very existential <laughs> well yeah i mean it turns out the um i had read uh most of this in high school and i didn't remember any of it until i got back into it until <laughs> i, like, I back read into most of it. this back in 1987 <laughs> <laughs> well brian well, I actually was, 1989 I, six... I guess because uh because this was number starts with number nineteen, okay, but I was, um, I was six months old I, when this series started, so I was I negative. I have that wow, amount probably. I, I don't know, negative one. I believe I believe I have read it once since then, but there is a lot that I did not recall as it was. Yeah, yeah. I think I was surprised. I think both the first time I read it and in the last two days. By how well a lot of the conversation around mental health holds up, it's not perfect. Yeah, but it's real but good, it's, though. It's, it's better than yeah. 99% of the shit that you read on Twitter. Yeah. Uh, um, well, that's not hard. Come on. Well, Especially, like, in terms of some of the metaphor and sort of this existentialist metaphor. Mm -hmm. uh, there's a scene in an issue where everyone gets pulled into a painting and it is lifeless and structural and Cliff's like I feel flat it's like when I get really down yeah I'm paraphrasing mm -hmm. some of the way that race and gender identity are handled a lot more clumsy yeah I think maybe well intentioned I in think probably identity. for the time that it was written yes. it was probably yeah, it was. great but it now was. it's like oh boy oh boy spe yeah. specifically because in the time that it was mentioned it really usually wasn't mentioned right exactly yeah, so, yeah yeah like you can see seeds of of what a more progressive version of it would look like now mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so yeah i'm sure for the time it was all right but just getting getting that out of it because i don't think i don't think either of those elements is so much in the forefront of this that we'll probably spend no. a lot of time on it Nope. Um, but in those ways, those are probably the two things that this book feels most dated regarding. Yeah. So do we want to mention why we chose Doom Patrol? Yes. Um, <laughs> Can anybody not figure it out? Season two this week, Thursday, I think. I think so. Yeah. yeah. Um, uh, and I believe yeah. that's going to be not just on DC Universe, but on HBO Max as yep. well, if you have that. Yeah, so if you have not watched season one, you definitely owe it to yourself. Um, I will let you know that what we're going to talk about today um, is essentially what season one covers. Indeed. I would yeah. I would amend that, though. It is, I mean, it is what season one covers. Right. But I feel like the show is a really strong remix of what the book does. It absolutely mm -hmm. is. It, yes, it, it is not point for point yeah it chops and screws a lot of elements but tells stories with sort of different focuses and different interpersonal relationships yeah yep it's a different flavor it absolutely is but just i want yeah. people to be informed going into it that yeah so if you want to and, and here's the thing i honestly think you can consume these in either order i think yeah. you could read it first and then watch or you could watch first and then read but just yeah and I, I highly recommend both i will 100 percent tell you that for this read through i yeah. could not read robot man or niles calder <laughs> oh my god hearing uh uh, uh not brendan brendan Gleason, fraser, brendan fraser yeah. and timothy dalton's voices mm -hmm. yeah which i think is just 
a testament to how good the writing and acting on that show are because to creep back i mean and how well the dialogue holds up in a lot of ways yeah to be able to creep back and still hear those voices in a 33 year old comic or a 31 year old comic i think it's a testament to it that it it it, it enhanced it for me it did not take away like i wasn't distracted by the fact right. that i couldn't stop hearing those yeah. voices yeah yeah, oh, and I, I think it's also a testament to how amazingly cast Robot Man was. With yeah. Oh Ranger. my god! Yes. Well, and the like, fact that I... he has two volumes, which are whisper and yelling. <laughs> <laughs> like I love, yeah. I love Jane on the show, but I feel like this take on Jane is a little different than the show's yes. take. On... I think, I think the show gives Jane more to do and mm-hmm. presents a stronger Jane. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um. So I don't hear her as much here because, like. Yeah, this is in no way Diane Guerrero's Jane. Yeah. Yeah. The other thing the other thing that I would say is probably the biggest difference, which makes total sense, is you get a lot more of the kind of like I'm gonna call them one shot bad guys, right? Where they come in for a scene and are dealt with and then like, you know, you don't see them again. But like just the names and the, the concepts behind them are brilliant mm-hmm. yeah yeah i mean this book works so much in terms of concept both structurally and like it is about concept mm-hmm. and about style and about art and anxiety and trauma and how all of those things relate that i it has to i think do those things and i think what's really clever about it is how iterative it becomes on those things. Like you start seeing reading this much of it at once. Patterns repeat. Like you talk about yep. the fourth horseman, then you talk about the fourth what is it in the, the last arc of it? The fourth window? I'm sorry, the, the fifth, fifth horseman and the fifth fifth, wor- fifth window. window. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um you'll see books in the background that have these weird titles that in yes. some cases at least are real books that mm-hmm. are referenced. Um, and then a couple of issues later, they'll talk about why that book is important and how it created this thing. And that's what the Brotherhood of Dada is going to try to harness. And and there's a lot of like imagery of like cages within rib cages. Yeah. Yep. Also cutting off of thumbs, <laughs> which is a story in, uh, I think in one of the first couple of issues, Crazy Jane's like, no, 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 no. This thing, I think they're just in in the unwritten book. I really think they're just riffing off of uh, riffing off of these like scary stories for children written by this Swedish or German or whatever writer. And like that's a real book. And one of the stories is about a kid who won't stop sucking his thumbs, mm-hmm. and they get cut off. And I think there are three different references in these issues to like having your thumbs cut off. Yeah, it's just so weird and specific and repeating in slightly different ways that that i've got to imagine if you read this book month to month you'd hear these phrases and have this weird sense of deja vu that like i know i've heard this before but it was such a passing aside like a background character says it the first time that you would never like consciously go oh yeah six months ago this other patient in the hospital that cliff has checked himself into is wiping the floor and mentions this thing yep no, he was not wiping the floor. <laughs> well, but but well, I, I was yelling what Alex was referring to. Oh, yes, no, I know, Alex. I know. 
Yeah. I could have sworn there was someone mopping who said something that was called back later. It, he but... he was he was kneeling in the floor, um, cutting himself, oh. saying something about the scissorman, and then it calls back to it later. Yes, we see this same person again later. Yeah. Okay. Maybe I was thinking of an orderly who who gets attacked by the scissorman and has his thumbs cut off. I think I was I was thinking of a thumb cutting example the first time. Ah. Anyway, but you're right. There is also that dude. Yep. Hey Brian. Yes. Want to try to explain the plot of this book? <laughs> um, <laughs> Miles Calder gets the Doom Patrol back together to deal with the crazy shit going on. How's that? That's about as close as I can get. <laughs> I'll accept it. Um... Yeah, this was, up until, I think, really this point, anything this abstract and crazy would have 100% been an independent comic. Um, And that's where these kinds of stories lived in the late 80s and early 90s. Um, This was, as far as I know, really the first time, certainly one of the big two, had really let a book like this be written. for them and i mean obviously we we know the, the the history of how well it did and how well it was received and you know the cult following the, no pun intended cult following <laughs> that it received <laughs> um but yeah it this i mean this broke new ground and set new standards for uh, you know pushing mainstream mainstream comics in a new direction yeah, and it's still, like, there are still ideas in this that I think you could pull out and put on a comic today, and they would still feel fresh. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, yeah. was it an issue of Titans, maybe, uh, in the last couple of years that brought back this idea of Monsieur Mala and the Brain as being in love with each other? And we talked about it at the time. We're like, oh yeah, this is... Maybe it was... Oh, I think it was Young Monsters in Love. I think it was a oh, I think it was Titan Young Monsters story in, in Young Monsters yep. in Love. I think you're right. Um, I remember we talked about it at the time, like, loving this take, and I had totally forgotten that there's an entire issue of this that ends with their declaring their love for each other. <laughs> yes. Before they blow up, right? <laughs> um, also, maybe the greatest single issue of a comic ever written. It certainly contains what I think is the best single page of a comic ever written. What's that? Is that the, is that the final scene where Cliff's in the jar with the bubble gum and the bray? Um, no. It's the no, one the, the, where he the throws page, him. Yeah, where, where Monsieur Mala throws the brain. Oh, yes. This oh, is, yes. <laughs> this is issue 34, uh, the last issue, actually, of the run... <laughs> That we're talking about. And I love, I do love this whole scene. Um, Monsieur Mala says, Ah, Master, I see that you too crave action. Do not fear, I will show you actions such as you have never seen before. Brain versus brain, he shouts as he chucks the brain in his little, like, skull dome canister uh, at Cliff, who is in basically the kind of, of... Jar one would put some sort of midwestern eighteen layer uh uh mayonnaise based salad in. Uh the brain shouts, Mala, for God's sake, what are you doing? What are Clud Oh What the hell's going on out there? 
Robot Man, it's you, isn't it? Hated enemy, at last we are face to face in open combat. <laughs> he says as he's laying on the counter next to the leaking jar <laughs> that Robot Man's brain is. Like, yes. there are two brains in jars. And you just get yes. for Robot Man. This is ridiculous. Which I can, again, Brendan Fraser, just Brendan Fraser muttering to himself. Yep. There you go. Uh, yeah, this, uh, since we're here, I'm also, this, this issue has my quote of the week. <laughs> Brian's quote of the week. Which I'm going to read it first, and then you're going to go, why, why, that, like, that's not funny until you, um, so they, they come up outside the, uh, the, the Doom Patrol's headquarters, and Monsieur Molly goes, I'll hide the broom, brain mobile here, just in case. Yes. Until you realize that the brain mobile is just a baby carriage that he puts his brain tank in and wheels him around. Yeah. With what I'm <laughs> assuming is like little ridiculous. molded gum mobile on it. Yeah. But, but, <laughs> but, but like, of course, it, you can't call it a baby carriage, right. so they have to call it the brain mobile. Yeah. Oh my the god. The only I more practical way to get him around would have been a baby Bjorn, and then what do you call it? <laughs> a brainy um, Bjorn? A brainy sling. <laughs> brain sling. <laughs> uh, uh, so good. Uh, okay, so high high level, the chief is putting back together the the Doom Patrol, um, but just before this issue eighteen, because this run had started uh, about a year and a half before this. And I think it was Paul Cooperberg was writing up until this point. And it was a very, very traditional superhero team book. Um, you had basically, you know, a superhero that could uh, use fire and, and stuff like that. Um, and basically, uh, right around the time of issue 16, 17, 18 is when Invasion happened, which was the big event. DC event book with the Dominators, and essentially as an end to his run, and in order for uh, Grant Morrison to set up and have the slate cleaned the way he wanted it, they decimated the team. Um, you like some of one of them, I think, actually died. One of them was in a coma. One of them went missing. Like they were, they just were gone. Yeah. Um, and. Niles Calder comes in and uh, starts to put this team back together. Um, and he, he, I, I really, in a way, kind of like how he does it because it's just like the book. It's so odd. In some cases, he just assumes that the person's going to be on the team and like doesn't even ask them. Yeah. <laughs> in other cases, he asks them. And in some cases, it... He never asks at all. They just kind of show up and are there. Kind of like he never asked Jane to be on the team, I don't think. She's just there with Cliff. Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah. Well, it's a package deal at that point. Yeah. It, oh, but yeah. And so, you know, we get that. We get a new kind of take on Negative Man or Larry Trainer or Rebus or, you know, one of several potential names you could call them. At this point, um, no, there's one Rebus. name. It's Rebus. Yeah. That's what they ask to be called. Yeah. No, I, I get. I, I'm. I, I say that from the character point of like Cliff and the others who have known him, not from yeah. Um, a, a, and you get 
this introduction of this brand new character, Crazy Jane, who, uh, if you do not know this story or uh, the TV show, is probably the, in my opinion, the most interesting character. Um, just from a concept of a superhero standpoint, um, it was very much similar to and about the same time, if I remember, as Legion was introduced uh, in Marvel. Um, and it's kind of a similar idea, but a little bit different in that she is a person that has dissociative identity disorder. Uh, she had some severe trauma as a child and retreated and created personalities to deal with that. Um, I think they say she has like 64 that they have yeah. identified at some point. 64, uh, yeah. And every single one of them, with the exception of her original identity, all have a different superpower, metahuman power. And some of them are pretty insane. <laughs> <laughs> no, again, no, no reference intended with that one. But uh, Wild. Let's say some of them are pretty wild. Pretty wild, mm -hmm. yeah. They are they are out there in their concepts. Yes, um, the giant sun head is probably my favorite. <laughs> <laughs> or like, there's one who just translates stuff. Like that's her superpower. Yeah. She's a code breaker. It's a yeah, she's a code breaker. <laughs> it's like okay, <laughs> and I think that's one of the. I think that's what's so interesting about this is from a uh, like just from a writing standpoint, right? you almost can't afford to have a superhero whose power is so, obs I don't want to say obscure, but so specific, right? Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. Because, you know, like, what do they do in a fight? And when you have those characters in other books, they tend to be very minor support characters, right? That show up just to do their one thing for an issue and then go away. But here, you can have it as one of the main characters because... It's not their whole thing. Yeah. Yeah. Well, there's a, there is a, a villain who shows up in an arc of this, who is sort of the antithesis of Jane, who has every superpower oh, yeah. you can't think of. <laughs> yes. So like, while you're finding her, that. you're trying to list out every power possible to nerf her as quickly as you can. And it's, <laughs> it's like, oh, you didn't think of create an impenetrable, inescapable jar around you, did you? Yes. <laughs> yes. And like that is the that is a perfect example of how this book and this art works, or these arcs, this run works. Is not only do you have a character who you know is that's their power is everything you haven't thought of, right? But then the thing that you haven't thought of is, of course, something you haven't thought of because it's absolutely absurd and ridiculous. Right. Is the ability to create an impenetrable, inescapable jar around you. Like, what the fuck? So, <laughs> what are the most absurd superpowers we can come up with? I will go first. Turn your opponents into a colony of ants. That just seems like a bigger problem. Uh, put, a, put, an, put a lampshade on their head that they can't remove. That's pretty that's pretty good. Um create a chicken that constantly follows them around and is indestructible and always pecks at their heels. You've just admitted cuckoos from Zelda. Indeed. I'm not very creative. Come on. Everybody uh. smells 
overcooked cabbage. Oh, come on. <laughs> oh, wow. I don't think I like that one. Um, you, you have to roll dice to determine the outcome of every action you want to take. <laughs> Instant DM. Yes. Um, and, and when they use the power, they say, DM me. <laughs> let's see. You create the voice of their mother in their ear going, do you really want oh. to do that? Good God, that's awful. Ah, <laughs> uh, so uh, I, I think we have. I think we have made our point of how insane, how crazy this whole thing gets, though. Um, just the, like you, it is so outside the box that the box kind of just doesn't exist anymore. Yeah, which is, I mean, I love that. That is one hundred percent true. But also, like, everything here has rules. Oh, yeah. There are rules and limits to any kind of insanity, even if that rule is, well, the people in this non-existent world that are trying to obliterate our world can't acknowledge that they are real because what they want is unreality. And if they admit they're real, they'll cease to be. No, if they admit they're not real. Correct. <laughs> Correct. And they, they are. They are. They are not real things, but they have uh, begun to manifest in the real world and have an effect on it. And in order to take it over, that's fine. But they can't confront the fact that they aren't real. Yep. Or they'll right. disappear, because then they aren't real. Yeah. Right. And to make them yeah. confront that, you have to address their two rulers, one of whom always tells the truth, and the other of whom always lies, uh -huh. and make the one who lies say that they're real, thereby making them right. acknowledge that they're not. Right. Correct. Yep. I think that probably, in my opinion, the best example of this is, uh, is Willoughby, right? I love <laughs> Willoughby is... Kipling. Constantine, <laughs> step what aside. What a coward. Yeah, who is who is essentially a Constantine-esque character, right? If but... you threw Constantine and Rodney Dangerfield in a blender together <laughs> yeah, there with that's, copious that's... alcohol. Copious. Yes. Yeah. Like, even more than Constantine has, yes. Yeah. Yep. Um, but if you... But the way that he operates, right, are is a good example of the fact that there are rules... And you know this because he can manipulate them to do things. Like, if you soak a phone book in in holy 7-Up, <laughs> consecrated 7-Up, it will remove all pop. of the names in the phone book except for the one who has the wound. <laughs> right? And it has so, to I mean, have been blessed by a defrocked it, priest. Right. Oh, a you're correct. A defrocked priest. Um, and clearly there are rules because that actually works. Yeah. Right. Right. But the rules are just as bonkers as anything else that's going on. I like his his main weapon to fight these agents of the unwritten book is a picture book that he sucks them into by reading. <laughs> but it's got to be a specific edition from 1907. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yes. I love yeah. that he's like describing that. They, these people of the unwritten book, they they only speak in anagrams, and he's yep. he's being a freaking coward. Like you know, he's really trying to get them to not kill him. Oh, and yeah. Rebus comes up behind him, and he's like, "Look!" And they go, "This." 
you're like, oh, cute. <laughs> cute. Yeah. Yep. That's the first time you realize I can read that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, there's a couple more that are good too. Yeah. But um yeah. Uh so the I guess the 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 two uh, I guess there's three kind of big story arcs in this, right? There's the formation of uh uh the Doom Patrol and their first group that they counter are the Scissor Men. Yeah. Right? Who are cutting people out of reality. Um and it like literally like imagine that you have a magazine with a picture of several people in it and you cut those people out and there's just a white space left where they were. Yeah. Terrifying. Um right? Uh yeah, and we get several people who have uh, spoken about the coming of the scissor men. Um and then when they start manifesting, uh this is what leads them to um, where Alex was talking about the beginning of the um, where they have to go confront the two leaders, yeah, uh, to get them to acknowledge their unreality, and once they do that, then they all just and the people who were cut out uh, come back. Yeah. Um, then we have an see. arc of some more or less almost one shot style stories that in the background have the members of the Brotherhood of Dada being brought together. Yeah. Um, which is really also kind of our introduction to, in at least in terms of this run, to Dorothy and right. what her powers can do. Yeah, her she can make her, ima- imagina- her imagination real, essentially. Terrifying. Right? Like, that's... Oof, oof, oof. Yeah, so we get a couple of uh, issues where they go to fight Red Jack, who oh, yeah. is... Yeah, who is a character, uh, uh, he's also known as the Butterfly Collector, and essentially his power comes from uh, the pain of others. Uh, turns out that he, his house, which is like this enormous, sprawling thing, uh, is in its own reality that at times over the years has overlapped our own reality. Every hundred years, I mm-hmm. think they say. Yeah, something like that. And it turns out that the last time it did, you know, uh, Red Jack came to Earth in London, and wow, it was Jack. He was Jack the Ripper in Whitechapel. Thank you. Basically, yeah. an oh, evil right, Brigadoon. Yeah. Right. Yes. It's 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 horrific Brigadoon. Yes. <laughs> Brigadoon. If br- you will. Brigadoon. Brigadoon. <laughs> Brigadoon. Even better. Yes. I love it. I need that shirt. Brigadoon. Brigadoon. Yeah. Um. I guess then we get an issue of uh, essentially uh, Tempest or Josh uh, and Dorothy, and this is where we kind of learn her backstory and or not backstory, but her kind of what her powers are and how she deals with them. Um, and I think that's where that's where we all get the uh, Elvis Costello song "Red Shoes" stuck in our head. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes, in- indeed. So throughout that whole time, she's. Dorothy is like fighting growing up and in a sense you get that she's like fighting puberty almost. Um, and that is a bonkers time for a young female person anyway. Yeah. Boy, howdy to have those powers during that time. I would just not like to be any part of that. Thank you. Thank you. Then we really get the step up of, of what is the next arc, which is the brotherhood of Dada. Um, and we learn 
the leader of the Brotherhood of Dada is uh, is Mr. Nobody, who, and we get his origin story. Another person I could not stop hearing in the Alan actor's Tudyk. voice because yeah. Alan Tudyk did that the fucking most amazing. Oh my god! Oh my god! He sounds so ridiculously confident and yet insane in a totally grounded and real way, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, like oh, so so good. Like the di- and I credit the writers and the dialogue a lot for that. Like it, it's just yeah, wonderful. but he does his character work too. Oh, oh, absolutely, yeah. no question about it. Um, but so he essentially uh, was a. <laughs> A minor background member of the original Brotherhood of Evil, who was like the Doom Patrol's like classic nemesis bad guy group. I, fight, right? I did not go do the homework on this one. Yeah, is that true? Like, was he? I, I, I think it actually is. I I don't. I think I remember like way 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 back when like when this first came out. I think I remember figuring out that that it is indeed true that he was in. Like a, a couple of issues of books where he was essentially just like, you know, one of the evil henchman sidekick minor member kind of people, right? Um, but like he's completely forgotten about. Yeah. And realistically, as far as the Brotherhood of uh, Doom, it they're essentially it, Monsieur Mala and the Brain are the only two who are s- consistent throughout all versions of it, right? Yeah. Um, well, so rather than refound this, he decides that, no, we don't need a new Brotherhood. We're going to have the Brotherhood of Dada. And he puts together, um, So we have sleep. Yeah, I just go Googled it because, you know, Google. Oh, did you? Uh, and he did appear in one issue of there Doom you. Patrol That's in it. 1964. Yeah. yeah. Awesome. I mean, that is, that is, like, I assumed he had to have at least been in an issue because that is the most Grant Morrison move. But like yeah. I said, I didn't I didn't do the homework. Yeah. Um, but like um, his spiel about why Dada and not good or evil, I think is fantastic. Mm-hmm. Uh, he says, I've changed my mind. Uh, let's see, what's the setup there? Someone asks, uh, are we going to form the new Brotherhood of Evil? He says, no, 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 no. I've changed my mind for a better one. Good, evil, outmoded concepts for an antique age. Can't you see? There is no good. There is no evil in our new world. Look at us. We are not final. Are we not final proof that there is no good, no evil, no truth, no reason? Are we not proof that the universe is a drooling idiot with no fashion sense? From this day on, we will celebrate the total absurdity of life, the gigantic hocus pocus of existence. From this day on, let unreason reign. The Brotherhood of Evil is dead. Long live the Brotherhood of Dada. And the pants of the vicar are closing. Rat a plan, rat a plan. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> yep. And the members that he has put together are Sleepwalk, who is a girl who is just pretty much a normal girl, other than, you know, the tattoos that she has around her eyes, which are awesome. <laughs> which are like two people facing each other. Um, but when she goes to sleep, she is like super powered when she's asleep and sleepwalking. <laughs> yes, like super strong, invulnerable, that whole spiel, right? Uh, we have the fog, who is a person who can turn into a mystical fog and swallow people whole. And then they continue to exist inside him, inside the fog. And argue with and, him. 
and argue with him and speak to him and interrupt him. Yes. Um, also, he creeps in on little cat feet. <laughs> yes. Uh, we have Frenzy, who is... Ah, good grief. Um, uh, I don't even know how to describe Frenzy. Uh, 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 a whirlwind and... Basically the creeper, but good. <laughs> okay, sure. Tornado creeper, though. Tornado right. creeper. Yeah, tornado creeper. And then we have the quiz, who is, like, in this gas mask and uh, self-contained cloak suit and is essentially a germaphobe and hates dirt. Hey, look, being in a gas mask and germaphobic <laughs> in 2020, most relatable content. Yeah, right? Exactly. Um, but the fact that they that she cleans people to the point that they are nothing but clear crystal glass, that's a little, yeah. yeah. Um, and she is called the quiz because she has every power that you haven't thought of. Right. Correct. Yeah, yeah. This is, this is her. Um, yeah. And then we get into, and this is, this is where the, the second book, the second trade kicks off, and it's called The Painting That Ate Paris, because we find out that there exists, well, the original painting was destroyed, but it was recreated, and the second one has the ability also to take into it things from the real world. It can basically, it, it hungers, as it says. Yeah. Uh, and you open the portal by basically breaking down logic and reason, which boils down to doing an actual thing that was part of the Dada movement, pulling snippets of phrases from newspapers that have been cut out and reading yeah. them as slam poetry. <laughs> like casting them like bones. Yeah, this yeah. was this was an actual thing that was part of Dada performance. That's, that's so wonderful. Um, well, and uh, we should probably also point out that... Um, uh, who is it that um, one of one of the things his actual name is uh, uh, Byron Shelley? Yeah, because yeah, <laughs> he was like, imagine going through school with the name Byron Shelley. <laughs> Look, if there is any comic book run that demands the that demands dramaturgical notes, <laughs> right? Yeah, it's this one. Like the amount of theory and criticism and literary reference just shoveled into this is mind-boggling. So, the Brotherhood of Dada break into this private collector's vault and steal this painting. Um, and Mr. Nobody essentially activates it, and the uh, it swallows Paris. Hence the painting that ate Paris. With the Justice League Europe headquarters in it. <laughs> Inside of it, yeah. Oh, by the way, I, 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 I'm going to point out one of the... There's two things that happen like somebody's fighting the quiz and they um one of one of a uh, uh, paris cop pulls a gun on on them and suddenly turns into a toilet that's full of flowers <laughs> and so the other cop shoots their gun and the bullet comes at the quiz and just gets bigger and bigger and bigger to the point that it's so big that it just falls to the ground <laughs> like, i love that <laughs> toilet transformation and mass manipulation there you go. Um, toilet transformation. That is a superpower. <laughs> toilet transformation. Yeah, we got we got nothing on Grant Morrison, do we? <laughs> that is a superpower and the episode title. <laughs> there we go. Um, I love that. So yeah, so the the 
Justice League Europe headquarters has disappeared. And so the the next issue, and this is we're up to issue twenty eight at this point. Um, uh, there's Booster Gold and Animal Man and Blue Beetle are standing around this painting, just looking at it, arguing about what they should do and how to get in. And it is a wonderful, beautiful example of how traditional superheroes are so ridiculously ill-equipped to deal with the bat shit that's going on. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if it's right here or, or somewhere else, but kind of the mission statement for the Doom Patrol that we get in this run is when things are so weird that no one else can solve the problems, you need these kind of fucked up people who won't bat an eye. And like, that's really the thing we see them do over and over and over again here. And probably one of the biggest differences between the comic and the TV show. We see them just sort of run headfirst and the conflict becomes background to some other focus. Mm -hmm. Like, they're fighting off what look to be the flayed skin of people held together with safety pins while Willoughby Kipling and the boy have a conversation about how to about how to run from the the unwritten books. Cult. Oh, those were the, the the mystery kites. They were held together with their own bones. Were those the mystery kites or were yeah. those I don't know, but when when, when yeah. we get to that last arc here in a minute, we're going to talk about some of these these yeah. one-shot villain characters cuz they are absolutely amazing. Um Let's see here. So, uh, what what did you think of issue 29, which is the Kingdom of No, which is essentially this resolution of the painting uh, where the quiz writes a letter to his mom? In general, I enjoyed it. I did find, not the quiz. uh, Frenzy. uh, Not the quiz. uh, 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 Frenzy, yeah. I Sorry. did find Frenzy's narration, the contents of Frenzy's letter, yeah, kind of tedious to parse, if I'm being honest. Yeah, like, I, I think it was probably a little overdone. Yeah, yeah. I, I get the why, and like, mm-hmm. reading it, I was like, okay, we could have this be less phonetic, we could have this be whatever. Like, I kept coming back to, then it wouldn't sound like him. I get that. Right. But maybe there's just too much of it for what it is. I was, like, I was relieved when There's too Mr. much narration Nobody. in a comic from the 80s? What? I mean, look. All things considered, this is very light in terms of narration for an 80s comic. <laughs> but He's this issue wrong. specifically. As someone who's had yeah. to read a lot of 80s and 90s X-Men in the long box. Yeah. Um, but I was relieved when Mr. Nobody took over narrating. So essentially what we find out is that uh, it turns out that trapped in this painting this whole time has been the fifth horseman of the apocalypse, uh, Oblivion. Isn't that his? Yes. Yeah. And um, he is going through the different levels of the painting, which, by the way, the different levels of the painting are the different painting movements that have existed throughout the world. Yeah, different art styles. Like, like, like you know, surrealism and... Futurism. Cubism and, right, yeah, all of that. Um, 
and is absorbing different things from them to make him more and more powerful until he can escape. Um, and because this is happening, uh, the Brotherhood of Dada and the Doom Patrol realize that they actually need to team up to fight uh, the Fifth Horseman. So good. I love Cliff and Mr. Nobody being like, you know we would have gotten ourselves out of this. We've gotten out <laughs> yeah. of worse. Mr. Nobody's like, but you didn't. You yeah. didn't. We let you out. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Um, and so Mr. Nobody actually comes up with a solution. I love that and... he's like, oh my god, this is my wheelhouse. <laughs> <laughs> yep. And it is. Send him it's to so us. <laughs> they lead him to the level of the painting that is Dada. <laughs> you can lead a horse to Dada, but you can't make it submarine. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Um, yeah, because... Uh, actually, I, I am going to read his phrase here because it's... My God, what a fabulous mind I possess. I know how to destroy the horseman and make it feel stupid at the same time. <laughs> <laughs> I love that it pops out as a rocking horse, but there is just that part of me that wishes that somehow, some way, it popped out as a tattoo on Superman's butt cheek of a horse. <laughs> that would have been very good. And the like, what laser, what laser is going to get that off? Only his eyes. Yeah. And can he look at his own ass? You know, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Stop. This is the rest of the episode. You know, Superman <laughs> has set up mirrors to check out his own ass. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, realistically, he's just going to melt those mirrors if he looks at them. Not if they're Kryptonian mirrors. <laughs> Are they Kryptonian mirrors? Where did he get Kryptonian mirrors? Krypton, duh. Maybe, maybe he uses <laughs> ice to refract them around <laughs> instead of reflecting. He canonically does have some kind of like polished metal from, I think, his ship that he uses to shave. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's true. <laughs> I mean, I'm sure he could set up some sort of camera. The point is, Superman has to have checked out his own ass. Look, we've all seen our own asses. If you had buns of steel, you would do that on the reg. Um, I wouldn't I know, say if. steel. I wouldn't say steel, but they're pretty good, okay? Yeah. I mean... And yes, on the reg. You, you, uh, it's like, you know Dick Grayson not only checks them out, oh. but probably talks to... <laughs> Jim Grayson has, you know, an Instagram account for Jim. Did you just say and... Jim Grayson? <laughs> he did. Yeah, he and did. Juan Grayson also has one. Their own separate Instagram accounts. Yeah, one has, yes. like, just one more follower than the other. <laughs> and Dick is really upset about that. And it goes and it goes back and forth as to who's in the lead. Yeah. <laughs> it's just, he's, like, it's... he's like, but they're so symmetrical. Come on. And we cut to... Beast Boy, every day, unfollowing one and following the other. <laughs> yes. Oh my god, yes. But his username is something like Purple Princess. Definitely a real woman. Definitely. <laughs> Former Princess of Tamaran. <laughs> yes. Oh yes. my god, unfollowing and following the other one. That is the most beautiful thing. I need a Teen Titans go of that, please. Thank you. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. Oh. Um. 
so the reason uh, I'm going to get back to the thing. <laughs> Are you? <laughs> uh, maybe. So the reason this works is, is as he says, um, the writer requires ideas and meaning to give it power. But Dada is the anti-idea. It destroys meaning. And so therefore it kind of also destroys him. And so, yeah, so then the fifth, the fifth horseman breaks out of, finally gets enough power to break out of the painting. But of course, because of this concept of Dada, he comes out as a wooden rocking horse. Which is also just very Play-Doh at the same time. <laughs> yeah. And the Brotherhood of Dada decides to remain in the painting. Uh, and the Doom Patrol leaves. And then the painting destroys itself, essentially. And Mr. Nobody's like, wait, I was joking. Oh, God. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yep. <laughs> um, yeah. And so, uh, yeah, there we go. Uh, that's the end of that one. And then we have uh, the final arc of this, which is... Um, Cliff's new body. Cliff's new body and Cliff going into the underground, mm -hmm. which is, by the way, I don't know that we mentioned it. So the underground is this concept of space within Jane's head and how all of her personalities are organized and deal with each other is that they all live in the underground. Uh, there is a train that runs through the underground and whoever is in possession of the 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 woman as they call the body uh at the time uh basically is rides the train and is brought to the surface yeah mm -hmm. um and so cliff has to journey into the underground to find out uh what jane comes out of the painting essentially in a coma and he has to go in and find out what's going on and we meet this is where we really meet a lot of her personalities mm -hmm. um and we see just how different they are. Like, they have different physical appearances. And we've seen a couple of times that there are personalities that, when they surface in Jane, actually physically change her. Like, specifically Black Annis. Yeah. Yes. Or the, uh, I can't remember, the, the sun, the one that has the yeah. flaming sphere as a head, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but then there's others who, although her body doesn't change, her personality obviously does. Um. We find out the trauma that led to Jane uh, uh, being who she is. Um, and I, I love the, the, the picture of, like, this host of her personalities. It, there's, like, you know, 30 personalities in here. And we just, we don't get names for any of them. We just see them. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, and I love, specifically, I love how different they are. Mm -hmm. um, uh, so, yeah. Cliff goes, and Jane is down at the well, which is like in the deepest part of the underground. And we find out that there was a personality who was doing really, really well in coping with things and controlling and kind of getting the underground organized and, you know, giving Jane kind of a real regular life. She was a graphic artist. Uh, and... um something happened and she went down to the well and threw herself in Yeah, uh, and that it almost destroyed the underground mm -hmm. and, you know, obviously Jane with it. And that if, uh, if Jane does this, then it, it, you know, they're all certain that the underground will be destroyed. Um, and it turns out that the person that is in the well is another manifestation of Jane, but this one is specifically a grotesque monster-esque version of her father. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, uh, Jane fights back and uh, by doing so frees herself from this. 
uh, and from the uh, bat. Then we get, <laughs> then we get Willoughby, and the start of this last arc. Um, <clears throat> and uh, the the first the first group of these kind of throwaway one shot enemies that I was talking about are three men who are essentially in like 1920s style suits with pocket watches. Uh, they're all just identical, but one of them has the sun for a head, one of them has the moon for a head, and one of them has Saturn for a head. And they are called Fear the Sky. They also have bloody shoulders. And bloody shoulders, correct. And they are called Fear the Sky. Um, and <laughs> they will ask a question, as a matter of fact, they will ask the question that dare not be asked. And if you don't immediately have an answer for them, they castrate you and kill you. <laughs> In that order. I love yeah. how Cliff's like, too late, buds. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, and this is the one that Alex was talking about that very specifically has a, a book of child verses from like 1907 or whenever and sucks them into the, a picture of it. Like, that's how he gets rid of them. <laughs> and that's what's so ridiculous is all of these enemies are all dealt with differently. <laughs> yeah. And it's, it's, it's crazy. Uh, we get introduced to the book, mm-hmm. who is a boy who was born with writings tattooed all over his skin. Um, and this is essentially a lost book of, I can't remember what they call this book. The, the, book unwritten, the unwritten book. The unwritten book. There you go. That tells how to summon the uncreator. Um, the decreator. The decreator. The anti-god. Yes. The anti-god. Which of course made me think of Black Hammer, but, um, but essentially, when God first formed and said, "Let there be light," when He did that, the light cast a shadow of God, and that shadow became the anti-God or the decreator. Yes, um, and <laughs> gotta say, I feel like this idea has to come up at some point in Death Metal. Just as a side note. Oh my gosh. That would be badass. <laughs> right? Yes. Um, uh, we see uh, uh, Willoughby try to get more information by summoning this horse that has a spike through its head. <laughs> like, okay. <laughs> That's just the form it took this time. Yeah. Right. Um, he summons get, it with um, a ritual paper cut. Yeah. Oh. Man, if I could summon things by getting a paper cut, I still would not fucking do it. <laughs> Because it's the worst. Uh, Willoughby explains that, you know, if you ask what happens to the billions of dead skin cells that are scales that fall off of people, um, it turns out that that, that cult agents collect these and that um, they are combined, dead skin cells are combined with old love letters and form the um, pain surgeons. So of all the things Uh, in this book, nothing um, really creeped me out until the thought of, like, cultist collecting your dead skin now i'm like mm, i am uncomfortable thank you point of order i'm sorry the pain surgeons are the ones who put those together to make the dry bachelors yeah like, also uncomfortable <laughs> right the dry bachelors essentially look like uh the question right with the big trench coat and everything except the trench coat are made of the love letters because you can see all the writing that's on them God, I love these characters. I, I like. I just have to mention them. They're so yeah. so good. Um, they both have hammers and 
uh, clusters of white balloons with black exclamation points. Yeah. Like, uh, okay. And it's worth noting here, they're not very polite. <laughs> they're not very polite. Um, we find out that the scouts of the cult are uh, the mystery kites, and they are um, the skins of specially selected murder victims stretched across bone frames. And the souls of the victims are imprisoned by occult geometry and become the, uh, of the frames and become slaves of the cult. It's fucked up. Yeah. This was the creepy one. Uh, we get the Never Never Boys. Winkin', blinkin', and nod. Who are three guys on giant tricycles with gas masks. That need to be punched in the face. <laughs> Who can ride on walls and ceilings on their tricycles. <laughs> I don't even know where to go with some of these things. Not if you and they can also like wire. Come on. Strip you from existence and leave your consciousness trapped in your shadow blind. Oh yeah, that, yes. that was terrifying. Yep. Um, let's see. Uh, we get, um, oh, there's the people who stare at, uh, who are assassins for the cult, who stare at a victim's fingerprints. Th is it a thumbprint, maybe? Yeah, thumbprint, thumbprint. Long enough that they can memorize the thumbprint. Um, and then they recreate that thumbprint on a white helmet with black ink. Um, because they believe that, uh, the helmet is only used once when they kill that victim, and if they, uh, if the victim's body is destroyed, then they believe it traps the victim's souls in the maze of its own thumbprint. You skipped one, Brian. The Did I? The needle children. Oh, yeah. That can't be seen oh. through glass. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You can't see them through glass. They're these tiny little, like, stick figure people. And, I mean, you get the impression here that they're just kind of petty. Uh, because they lay pointless siege to an old folks' home in the suburbs at one point. Yeah. Um, we also never hear what the unquiet face is, but we have it referenced, uh, as possessing, yep. uh, possessing a bus full of teenagers. Uh, we get the Hiroshima Shadows, who are essentially the, um, uh, the nuclear destruction shadows that were left behind when the atomic bombs went off this is this is another one that maybe maybe is pushing what is considered tasteful in 2020 right yeah. like i don't think that I, I don't think those would be used today yeah um yeah uh but it, it, all of this abs absurdity goes to oh we get the shroud on stilts uh which i don't think has ever described exactly what it is but man does it look gross Yep. Yeah. Um. See, Whispering Jack, the Weeping Blades. There we go. Yep. Uh, Whispering Jack is basically Grim Reaper meets Plague Doctor. Right. There are some bodiless, ma bodiless mouths that sweep through Parque Gale and violently disagree with one another. <laughs> <laughs> the Weeping Blades look like. Bodies that are just meat with floating blades uh, around their, where their heads would be if they had heads and crowns at the top. Yeah. So the team splits up to go off and, and you know, try to figure out what's going on with, in a couple of directions. And uh, Jane is left to defend uh, the unwritten book, The Boy. Um, and these, scissor, these uh, razor blades come through the wall, cutting open the wall and come in. And it's the Little Sisters of Our Lady of the Razor, um, who are probably the most dedicated to inflicting outrageous amounts of pain. 
<laughs> They're nuns in tattered habits with like flying nun whippets and whippets? Whipples? What are their hats called? Sure. Uh, habits? I thought the habit That's... was the cloak and the hat had another name. Oh, does it? Okay. Could be. But it's the flying nun. Yeah. Like the big turned up. One. And then yeah. like pointy bladed halos and mummy wraps around their faces. Yeah. Well, because they're drawn from the ranks of children who refuse to grow up. And then they're subjected to secret disfigurements that do not allow them to grow up. And they realize that that is not such a great thing. <laughs> a yeah. wimple. It is called a wimple. Wimple. There you go. You're right. I was close You're with right. Whippet and, uh, yeah. Whiffle. Wimple. <laughs> yeah. Um, Don't squeeze the Charmin. Uh, and the boy is freaking out, and he's like, razors, they'll cut us to bits. <laughs> Until you hear, do you think I'm afraid of razors? And you turn and see Black Annis, who is essentially like a big, hulking, terrifying Wolverine-type person. Picture Michael Morbius, but with Wolverine claws. Yeah. And extra yeah. Wolverine claws. Yeah, like Lady Deathstrike and Wolverine together. Yes, yeah. that. <laughs> there you go. Yes. <laughs> Terrifying. Uh, Cliff uh, goes to find the person that is... So I mentioned earlier the whole 7-Up thing and the person's name who is left in the phone book. Uh, that person is the person who has the wound. Emilio Cuervo. All right. And the wound is something that will get bigger and bigger and essentially opens a portal between our reality and Nernheim, which is the location, the secret location city where the cult lives, and it's, it's based. Um, and eventually the wound will grow until the point that they can come out of the wound, and it opens in, uh, you know, basically a permanent portal into our reality. So this is another one of those uh, recurring themes that yes. in order to fix the problem, you have to confront a wound. Yes. Uh, Cliff goes through the wound. Robot Man is now in the city of Nernheim, which it turns out is in a snow globe that we have seen earlier in the base of... <laughs> so the city is the city that's in a snow globe that they had earlier in the Doom Patrol base. Right. And we see our first picture, we see, because uh, in, the, in this whole fight, they have captured the boy with the unwritten book on his skin. They have read the book and have enacted the uh, the ritual to summon the uncreator or the decreator. At which point, all the tattoos disappear, which right. maybe makes it even creepier somehow. Yeah, and uh, it turns out that the decreator is uh, a giant bloodshot eye that appears in the sky, and as he's there, one single item in the universe at a time, things start being unmade mm -hmm. and that can be literally anything much like we were talking about the person who has every superpower you didn't think of and so you start trying to think of the most ridiculous things you can like every single single minor thing that you can think of somehow is being decreated like right? the cigarette gets decreated out of uh willoughby's hand at one point <laughs> how yeah. dare you take my smokes yeah um like like single words start disappearing from existence. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah. Uh, that, and so that was the most frustrating thing it did. Cause I'm like, Ooh, <laughs> every time I can't think of a word. Ooh. Oh, we have specific yeah. monsters for that in a minute yeah. too. Yeah, we do. Um, 
Oh, here, yeah, so cl- here are the guys I was thinking of earlier, by the way. The Starving Skins. Yes. Oh, God. These right, are like... Super creepy. Outer layer of skin held together by safety pins. Mm. Yeah. And, and, they're, and they carry forks because they're starving yeah. skins, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah, because who is it? There, and I, I, Maybe we haven't gotten there. There's somebody who... One of the things is they're created by taking the words from the tip of your tongue. Those are um, those are the two who uh, subdue Cliff. Hoodman Blind and Hoodman Shame, ah. who 100% look like they're KKK gimps. Yes, yeah. Oof. Awful. Um, yeah, and- they... they uh... <laughs> The Hoodmen are far from the worst of the servants of the cult of the unwritten book, but they are among the most peculiar. Uh, you know when you're trying, yeah. You know when you're trying to remember a word and it's on the tip of your tongue, but you can't seem to get it out. Well, that's because the Hoodmen have eaten it. They eat all the words that are on the tips of other people's tongues. They thrive on misplaced words, savoring all of the lost potential of each expression. Uh. They're also able to convert words into electricity. Mr. Steel took an entire phrase, and while that's happening, like you see them uttering these random nonsense phrases right before that Saint Vitus shake and uh, take your partners for the dance macabre. Like they utter these words as it's explaining this, and then like shoot force lightning at Cliff over and over until he just collapses. Yeah. So Cliff is brought before the leaders of the cult who are the Archons of Nurnheim, who are two um, collapsed on thrones marionettes with strings. Creepy. Who each have a puppet on their hand. Also creepy. I read this as the puppets are the Archons, and they're just poised on these bodies. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Correct. That is is 100% correct, because the, the people who actually speak and are active are the puppets that are on the hands of the marionettes who are on the throne. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Take a Scarface from Batman <laughs> and turn the nightmare knob on that all the way up. Sounds about right. Um, so essentially they figure out that um, they can set up a vibration, a counter vibration to the decreator because that is how he exists and because yeah, because the D creator is the phrase that God spoke when he said Fiat Lux. Right. So and because right. To to counteract phrases. him, you put out the white basically it noise canceling headphones. Yes. Yeah, they, they generate noise canceling yeah. for the original word of God, yes. <laughs> and although it turns out that doesn't destroy him. It significantly counters him such that, so it's not perfect noise reduction, but it's, it counters him enough that it slows down his ability to decreate stuff to a level that it will take, you know, millennia to destroy mm-hmm. everything. Yeah. And Willoughby's like, no one will notice. This will mm, be fine. That's good enough. And you're like, reading it, I was like, no, <laughs> I would notice. But then there's like, the last shot of that is Calder going for his pin in his pin. breast pocket and you see like the sort of Kirby crackle where it's disappeared and he goes oh I must have forgotten it today and you're like oh no <laughs> it would be innocuous like that yeah just yeah. annoying socks. enough oh yeah it, it would yeah it would be that oh crap now where did I put that I know it was right here I just yeah. set that down <laughs> and it's gone yeah. I forever. swear to god 
Sinbad played a genie in a movie in the 90s. No, that's different. <laughs> that's a different effect. Are you sure? Yeah. 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 Oh, okay. Oh, or unless that movie disappeared. Is that what that's you're what I'm saying. <laughs> so you're saying there is one in addition to the real thing. I'm saying in the fiction of Doom Patrol, it would make sense for it to have existed and been uncreated. In addition to the other movie. I mean, the yes. the real movie that sure. definitely 100 persists is, persists, exists, and persists. I mean, it persists. In the fiction of Doom Patrol is yeah. the Shaq Kazam film. Yeah, yep. Which, I feel like this is the right place to say this. You know how you know there's no movie called Shazam? Because that's a different character that there's a copyright on. Couldn't have gotten that past DC. I mean, yeah. it's uh, it's a completely different... I think you could have, yeah. Couldn't have called it Shazam. It's a completely different concept, though. You couldn't have called the character Shazam. And even if you could, you couldn't have gotten it past Hanna-Barbera's trademark on the genie Shazam. Correct. Okay. Yeah. But yeah, so that's that's how they resolve that ish, that one. And uh, then we get our final issue, which is... Uh, we've pretty much already covered it, which is the Monsieur Mala brain coming to uh, get a new body for the brain. So good. And brain and, and Cliff, as Cliff is removed from his body in a brain jar. Um, yeah. And it's, so, it's like, here, let me explain it in the most boring, dry way possible. It's a pair of conversations about dualism and whether the mind, exi- mind exists in the body or not, framed with Cliff talking to his body, which has become sentient while he's out of it. And... <laughs> Mala and the brain talking about Mala having been given consciousness by the brain and no longer just being animal instinct. Right. Um, and then they, they kiss I, and I, explode. Yeah. <laughs> I do have to specifically point out. So, yeah, Cliff's body comes to life as he's out of it in a, in a brain tank. And in order to prevent Cliff's brain from being put back into the body and, you know, taking over his newfound sentience, he drills a small hole in the brain tank <laughs> so that the liquids, the nutrients will drain out of it. Slowly. And, and, right. And his brain will die, which leads to the, the whole thing of, you know, there's this concept that, that Monsieur Mala likes chewing gum and the brain thinks it's gross because he takes it and sticks it on the side of the brain's tank to keep it. Um, but we end up at the end of this with, uh, the brain, the, the, the Monsieur Mala has taken his gum out in order to kiss the brain and has put it on the hole that was the nutrients were draining out of in Cliff's tank so it's no longer draining out and going to kill him. Uh, and then they, Cliff's body has rigged itself that if any brain is ever transplanted back into it, it all of his uh, defense mechanisms will explode. So... When the brain's bo- brain is put into it and Monsieur Mala kisses him, the body explodes and <laughs> Monsieur Mala's beret flies across the room and lands on the tank <laughs> where we end up with this final picture, which is amazing, which is Cliff's brain in a tank with a hole drilled into it, patched by bubblegum with Monsieur Mala's uh, beret askew on the side of the tank. Monsieur Mala's beret... Which was Che Guevara's favorite (laughs) beret given to him by Fidel Castro, which he says earlier in this issue, he will not take off 
unless he surrenders it to someone who beats him in combat or chess. Or chess, yes. <laughs> yep, there you go. Anyway, what a beautiful, if, what a beautiful final picture of this uh, absurd series. If we yes. can get Martin Sheen to voice Monsieur Mala, I'd I'd be uh. here for it. <laughs> yes, I love it. I love it. Um, Martin Sheen doing a bad French accent. <laughs> I'll take it. Um, yeah, that's uh, that's the whole. That's the first two trades of Doom Patrol. Yeah. Um. Yeah, if you're reading the like standard size trade, I think there are six total. Um, I think the easiest way to find it right now, if you don't already have it, are like oversized trades that pair up two of each of those, and there are three. This is the whole first book yeah. of those three. Again, on Comicsology Unlimited, it's listed as book one. Yeah, that's I think the equivalent. That's of the big double size. What we just yeah. talked about. Yeah. yeah. Yep. And and like Alex said, I think Grant Morrison's entire run is three of those. Yeah. Yeah. Which are like what? Sixteen issues each, is that right? Something like that. Yeah, yeah. In mm-hmm. in that neighborhood. Yeah. They're all about the same size. So about that size, right, yeah. There may be one um, that's like fifteen and an annual. One. Right, right. Yeah, but they're all they're all around that size ish. Yeah. Um yeah, I, I mean I, I I don't even have to say how amazing and great this is. Like there's a reason that it is so well regarded and so highly praised. And a reason that they used it as point of reference for the TV show. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And uh, I'll step back for a minute to, to what something Alex said earlier. I do love how they did not try to specifically retell exactly the stories that happened here, but they told the stories yeah. that are in here. Right. But they did it in a way that makes more sense for the TV show. Yeah, and like one of the things they do is this at the top acknowledges a bunch of team history. That's something that sort of unfolds as the first season goes out. Yeah. You know, um, characters are meeting each other for the first time. The The Mr. Negative stuff is completely different. You don't have the Rebus angle at all. Instead, you Correct. have basically a, a coming out or coming to accept being out kind of story. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I need in the fiction of that world, that show to acknowledge that uh, uh, the first Green Lantern. Alan Scott. I'm sorry, the second Green Lantern. Hal Jordan. Hal Jordan, thank you. Okay. The first Earth Zero Green Lantern. Okay. In current context, Hal Jordan, like I need Hal Jordan's father to have been some sort of fanboy of uh, Larry Trainer. Larry Trainer. Larry Trainer. Yeah. <laughs> oh my God! Are they eating your words right now? Constantly, I am a feast. <laughs> I am a feast. I am a legit snack. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to the only context I will ever be able to say that. Oh, oh that's my new favorite moment. <laughs> I didn't think I was going to break Brian more than that whole beast boy following and unfollowing Dick Grayson's ass cheeks thing. Here we are. Oh my god. I am a legit snack. There we go.
Are we sure that's not the episode title? No. That's not. I didn't say it had to be. I just asked if we were sure. <laughs> I am sure. Just call it Alex is a legit snack. No. Come not on. <laughs> I'm begging you, sir. I'm begging you. No, sorry. <laughs> Deny. <laughs> oh, that was that was beautiful, sir. Well played. Well played. Thank you. Oh, seriously, I'm going to remember that when I'm old and feeble and on my deathbed and just crack up and hopefully die right after. And the, uh, yep, and my kids are going to say, what are you laughing at? I was like, Alex is a legit snack. The words. It's the words thing. It's the how true it is with the words thing. <sighs> so good. It was so good, sir. Thank you for making that phrase that I hate something that I now love. You're welcome. Um, I feel like The Good Place probably should have beaten me to the punch on that one, but I'll take it. You know what I love? This this book is, like, the concepts in it are so absurd. Like, Alex wasn't even able to make anything weird beyond the point that it fit in with what we did. I know! <laughs> I mean... Don't try. Don't try. <laughs> this book did not need my help. That's my point, yeah. right? Yeah. Or maybe you did make things weird and we just didn't even notice yeah. because, you know, it just fit right in. I did. Those moments have been decreated. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. All I right. It. Do we know what time it is now? Yes. Time for that long box, Alex. See, I it's always... long box book report. It's long box book report. Thank you. Thank you. So, so I always you expect must... Brian to sing it and then he doesn't. You were on it this time. Thank you. Thank you. Um, you know what, Brian? You are a super friend. Am I? But you're not a legit snack. Sorry. <laughs> nope, I am not. Uh, I am, of course, calling Brian as much to let myself segue into super friends. Number one. This is from 1976. A tie-in to the cartoon of the same name. This was written by E. Nelson Bridwell. Uh, art is by Rick Estrada, Joe Orlando, and Vince Coletta. The colorist was Jerry Serpe. The letterer was Milt Snappen. And the editor was Joe Orlando. This is, uh, I think pretty much what you would expect it to be. It feels true to the cartoon. This book is pretty much what you expect it to be, sort of in tone and quality. It feels true to the cartoon. It takes the kind of, of... Batman 66, you get half a story in an issue format. This first arc is called The Fury of the Super Foes. Um, it opens up with Dick Grayson, along with, of course, Jimmy Yuan, uh, helping Wendy and Marvin through a superhero ropes course that's also an acrobatic circus trick course. Like you do, yeah, okay. Yep. Um, the Wonder Dog tries to help Marvin by pulling on the rope that he's tangled in, causing Marvin to fall into a net, not a net funicello, like a safety net. <laughs> that would have gotten real fucking awkward real fucking quick, sir. I was like, ooh, this is a different kind of 70s book. <laughs> <laughs> Racy. Yeah. Um, Marvin is distraught when Wonder Woman says, hey, you call that work? You've never tried Amazon training. He volunteers, and she says, no, you can't pass the physical. Aphrodite's law says it's strictly for girls, and he is so upset at the idea that being, quote, a fellow, 
he might not have some sort of advantage. <laughs> Eat a dick. <laughs> then we cut to, uh, and I'm just going to, I have a soft spot for. That just, sorry, that just reminded me of last week and Orion going, you guys are all sexist. <laughs> yeah. Fuck you, buddy. That's it. The Orion Marvin buddy team up book that nobody wants. <laughs> Tom King will do that next after Strange Adventures. <laughs> no, unfortunately, Alex, there are people that want that. That's the sad part. I'm uh I'm a big sucker for the Super Friends narration. Uh that was part of like what was in my head when I gave Chase the script for our intro voiceover. So I'm gonna read one. And while our young trio continues their lessons on law enforcement, let's travel to where the Super Friends criminal counterparts are conducting their own seminar. On law breaking. Bum, bum, bum. <laughs> I Jen and I both had the idea of the music transition. <laughs> there are ten characters on this page. Five of them recognizable supervillains. Well, villains. Supervillains is perhaps overselling some of them. <laughs> and really only four of them are recognizable. One of them is the Penguin, Cheetah, Poison Ivy, Toy Man are the four who anyone has ever fucking heard of. Then there's one dude hanging out in an above-ground swimming pool wearing a yellow bodysuit that comes up over his head only leaving his face exposed with a blue and white striped old-timey swimsuit over that, an orange harness just around his where his arms meet his shoulders, and then spiky fins coming down off his arms, much in the style of, say, fringe off of one of Cher's bodysuits in the 60s or 70s. Okay. Would anyone care to guess who this, again, one of these five not recognizable, who this theoretically A-list supervillain is? Say it one more time. Yellow bodysuit, leaving only face exposed, blue and white striped old-timey swimsuit, Orange like fins coming off of his arms, orange harness around his head around his shoulders. Dude, I have no fucking clue. Non melanoma boy. I'm going to drop very a well picture. Covered. Oh boy. Gonna drop a picture of this dude. Where you where are you dropping it? Into our uh group message. Okay. Sorry, future me editing this. Oh, oh, um the flying fish. Holy shit, Brian. Is it? That is the human flying fish. <laughs> yes! God damn! <laughs> the, the shit that is in your brain, Brian. <laughs> yeah, now you, it's full of this kind of shit, unfortunately. You poor thing. I am so I know, sorry. Like... The other five uh... characters on this page. <laughs> And here is the crux of this plot line: are these sidekicks that Penguin, Poison Ivy, Cheetah, Toy Man, and the Human Flying Fish have taken on? Yeah. Chick, Toy Boy, which oh boy, oh boy, oh, so it's SEO did not exist. Comic. Yeah, he uh, he opens his box and fists Toy Man. <laughs> Oh, toy boy. Honeysuckle. Oh my god. They knew what they were doing. And look, if you uh 
If you think Poison Ivy has a history of some revealing costumes, let me just, again, share with you the the costume decision that this book's creative team made for this, again, presumably teenage sidekick. Oh, yep, there you go. It is literally a pair of leaves... Some vines wrapped around her torso, a garter, and some vines wrapped around her ankle. Yeah. Yeah. Think like Little Mermaid starfish covering covering her boobs, except they're like leaves. There is a panel later in this book where literally half of her ass is hanging out. Okay. In this book, written for literal children to tie in with a Saturday morning cartoon. Well, I mean, this is like, she's got that hippie commune vibe going on, so... I'm sure it was fine. Yeah, I'm surprised these leaves didn't have five five leaves on them. Yes, that would have been right. I feel like it's so intentional that they don't <laughs> that you have to assume that really, if the artists had had their way, they would. Yeah. Um, Cheetah's sidekick is kitten. God damn. And again, <laughs> <Really>? like <laughs> if Cheetah's wearing a full body suit, kitten has like. The Robin no legs thing going on. <sighs> and then there is the sardine. <laughs> the sardine. Uh-huh. Okay. I love this so much in the worst kind of way. In case anyone's wondering, <laughs> Toy Boy Chick and Sardine are fully covered. I don't of think course. anyone here oh, had to wonder that, no. but they all have like full pants. Um Sardine's got boots on. He swims. He's a fish man. Fish boy. Well, they're, they're swim boots. <laughs> you know. Popular aquatic equipment. Swim boots. Hey, Brian, I'm undecided. Um, I, I don't know why this is still in my brain. When you said five leaves earlier, yeah, I can't decide if you were, like, accidentally n- not getting the amount of leaves right on cannabis. Or if you were thinking of, like, Poison Ivy or Virginia Creeper? Oh, no. Canadian flag maple leaf. Okay. Well, yeah, but that's one leaf. Yeah. Okay. Oh, no, it's leaves of three, isn't it? Would be Poison Ivy. Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah. it's Poison Ivy's. Right. Yeah. 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 I, I just wasn't sure. Okay. I just wasn't sure. I mean, cannab- cannabis what? leaves work, too. No, no, because yeah. those are seven. Right. Exactly. Yeah, I, would, right. I would point out that. That's, yeah, Jen, that's that why I, I was confused. <laughs> yeah, right. That's why I was confused. Again, <laughs> why I'm bringing it back up. Although, okay. but if you out. meant Virginia Creeper, that would have been a really fucking funny, too. Yeah. <laughs> Virginia Creeper, yeah, I get it. Two of these leaves do have seven points on them. Oh. Oh, well. Oh, shit. There you go. Maybe so. Sorry. Anyway. Yeah. Um. So they talk about their plot. They're going to steal parts of a robot that is supposed to be an artificial intelligence designed to enforce nuclear de-escalation. I, I, I'm always enamored of the balance between zany antics and stupidity versus <laughs> nuclear de-escalation that happens in superhero stories from this period aimed at children. It's like so casually in the background. Yep, no, no more conflict and armed war, but also like, hey, here's this umbrella I have that does tricks. Well, I mean, what did you think children's stories were about in the 70s, man? It was oh, about like 
But this is nuclear de-escalation. But, and, you know. but I feel like there's a version of this narrative that exists, especially like into the 80s and 90s, that is more xenophobic specifically. That is more like jingoistic, more of a Russia bad, Soviet Union bad take. Whereas this is a, no, nuclear conflict and nuclear armament is bad. None of us should be doing this. Well, the switch is really demonstrated by Monsieur Mala's shirt in Doom Patrol saying, drop the bomb. Yeah, like, I think this is a good thing and a healthier thing. I'm always surprised by this sort of better balance, good (laughs) balance, let's call it. So they talk about this plan. The Trub Alert lights up and Dr. Michaels, the head of Star Labs, calls for Superman's aid with Project SR. Aquaman asks, what is Project SR? And Superman, who lest it be forgotten, is a dick, responds, I'm sorry, (laughs) Aquaman, but I'm sworn to secrecy. (laughs) Dr. Michael says, no, we trust your friends, Superman. We need all the help we can get. Please fill them in. We never actually learn what SR stands for in the project name. Just so you know. Um, but the robot is supposed to be indestructible with like an on like an, an an limitless battery in it, split into three parts, so the team splits up Superman uh and Robin take care of the lab at Hudson University where Robin is a student. Aquaman goes underwater. Quote, uh uh another lab uh is the undersea lab at Cape Andrews. I know where that is, and the sea is my territory! And then Batman and Wonder Woman team up to go take care of the lab at Eagle's Nest. Wendy and Marvin uh, tag along. They're told, you can ride with us, but don't get in the way. Uh, Toy Man and and Poison Ivy fight uh, Superman and... Just Super... Oh, Superman and Robin. Toy Man has made some, like, tiny little Superman action figures that he thinks are gonna stop. Superman? Uh, then, uh, Poison Ivy's sidekick shows up and wraps up Robin in some vines covered in honey in what she describes as a stick-up. Toy Boy shows up and straps... Oh, Toy Boy! Oh, Toy Boy! Toy Boy sneaks up on Superman and wraps him in a lead gimp mask. (laughs) (laughs) i'm I'm actually looking at this issue now alex (laughs) is my description inaccurate nope it's exactly what i thought when i saw it that that guy's name hey toy boy that guy's name is chet his name is chet right (laughs) like look at his face his name is chet his name i'm sure he's supposed to chet harden chet harden (laughs) wow wow toy boy Um, the human flying fish. (laughs) You just hate saying that so much. I love it. (laughs) I'm sorry. In the tradition of comic book villain names. (laughs) There is no... And here's the thing. Why did you have to put human on it? What? Yes, Brian. Just call him the flying fish. This is the point I was going to make. In the tradition of of super villain names, there is no the human vulture. Dr. Human Octopus. Well, The well, Human Jackal. The human... human Torch, though. Okay. Granted, the Torch is just a better name. Pretty sure that was also taken by then, maybe? I don't know. Or at least calling back to the, the Golden Age Human Torch. 
fine, whatever. I'm not going to try to apply logic to Golden Age comics, that's for damn sure. Oh. Yeah, there, there, was, a, there was a definite movement at a time to call things the human something. Yeah. The human centipede. There's one yeah. example no. of human animal. No. Nope. No. Although apparently it would fit in this book. <laughs> only only in a chapter dedicated to Toy Boy. And and honeysuckle. Oh my god. <laughs> anyway, the human flying fish. And Kit, God, uh, raids the undersea lab. <clears throat> uh, Aquaman stops him. The sardine. I'm sorry. Aquaman stops him. He fires a laser at Aquaman. Laser decide. Or Aquaman decides. Oh, a laser weapon, eh? I may need help with you. And summons sh- some sharks. The human flying fish in what I'm going to call the greatest comic book art masterpiece of all time decides to go where Aquaman can't get him above the water and flies by like skipping himself like a rock across the surface of the ocean to get away. Thinking to himself, even Aquaman can't tell me up here. My gliding apparatus gives me a real advantage. Aquaman counters, Brian, you can't laugh before I say the thing. (laughs) Yes, you can. Aquaman counters, Jin, you're not looking at this, right? Uh Uh-uh. What would be what would be the aquatic creature you summon to take on the human flying fish as he skips across the surface of the water? A leopard seal. Well, this is why you're not Aquaman. <laughs> okay. He instead summons hundreds of actual flying fish. <laughs> you're right. This is why I'm not Aquaman. <laughs> I aim for kill, and he aims for irony. Yep. Call yourself the human flying fish. Fuck you. I'll show you what's up. <laughs> Give us Aquaman's back our name. The <laughs> then Sardine shows up and using a Sardine's natural defense, Squid Ink blinds what? Aquaman. Oh, this is the actual worst thing. No, I'm going to be honest. This is one of the best comics I've ever gotten. I don't know what you're talking about. This is wonderful and how awful and fun it is. Not only is it great, it's only 17 pages. Um, The penguin's penguin blimp approaches the eagle's nest, the third lab. Penguin and Cheetah come in to try to steal the battery from there. But Wonder Woman, Batman, Wendy, and Marvin are in the invisible jet. Which I love that this makes clear it's not, like, invisible, it's just really, really clear plastic, so it looks almost invisible. Um, they fight. Wonder Woman and Batman are frozen by, or held up by, Chick's tear gas after Kitten distracts them. Uh, Penguin and Cheetah start to get away when Wendy and Marvin drop down on a rope ladder and kick them in the faces midair. They definitely survive. Uh, then they fly Chick and Kitten. Back to the Super Friends headquarters, the Hall of Justice. Let them in, give them a tour, and go for it when they're like, oh shit, you guys have some cool toys. Can we be good guys now? (laughs) Uh, Chick breaks off from the tour group uh, and uses the hidden radio in his umbrella 
to radio back to the penguin and let him know that the scheme is going according to plan there inside the hall of just wonder dog overhears this and i will i will finish this up with again some captions wonder dog has heard it all but unfortunately canines cannot speak will wonder dog tell the super friends of the traitor in their midst how and will he be in time tune in next issue for the conclusion of this exciting story so you can't say that he can't speak and then say will he tell them in the next breath no (laughs) sure you can as long as you follow up with how 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 like how 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 is he Um, gonna do that also if 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 toy boy is named chet i need to know what chick's name is herbert you are correct. He's mm-hmm. definitely a Herbert. Mm-hmm. How about a uh, kitten? Hmm. This is the seventies. Yeah. <laughs> Her name is Annabeth. Mm. I was gonna go with Tiffany. Do we want to go ahead and finish the set with uh, honeysuckle and sardine? Sure. Do you, can you show me them? I mean, I sent you honeysuckle. Oh yeah. Yeah. Uh. Um. I mean, like we have to be something. I mean, Gwen- Gwendolyn's not a bad choice. Not a bad choice, but, but I was thinking Mary Elizabeth. Uh, mm, not, uh, I don't know about that. Not in the seventies. Really? Yeah. Um, Jacqueline. Jacqueline. Her name is Jacqueline. Yeah. No, look at that. She's a Jacqueline. And finally, sardine. Uh, that face just says, "Gorsh." Um. Can they be Chet and Brett? I mean, can they? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. They. Not can. only they can they, can. they are. Yeah. So, Alex, you said this was seventeen pages. Yes. Because I can tell you the whole thing uh, is 32, so that tells you how many ads there were. <laughs> Holy shit balls! Well, it was a kid's book. Yep. Like, uh, I, 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 I seriously debated reading number two to be able to give the whole story since it was so short. And then I thought, why would I do that to myself? <laughs> this is the long box. Don't do more work than the bare minimum. Don't make it the longer box. Don't... Don't raise the bar for this. <laughs> now, would either of you care to guess what the first ad is on page five? I would love to know. Oh, wait, no, you said guess. This is the 1970s. Um, Hostess fruit pies. Green Lantern and the fruit pie scene. Yeah. Hostess fruit pies, baby. If you're listening at home, drink. <laughs> All right. Uh, Jen, you've gotten to pick... Odds or evens the last couple of episodes. So, Brian. God damn it. This odds is going to end poorly help. for me. It's not going to help, Jen. I'll get it anyway. It doesn't matter. Uh, odds. Brian. God. That's a five. Yeah, see? That All means right. you're safe. No, yeah, that means oh, I that get means it. I'm safe. I keep thinking, okay, right, yeah, yeah, yeah. Perfect. God Perfect. damn it. All right, Jen, would you like to hear your choices? Present me with my options, sir. We have Vigilante Volume 1, number 29, from 1986. Mm. Mm. Uh, and we have Suicide Squad, Volume 1, number 5, from 1987. Ugh. And Alex, you know what's behind door number 3. Um, I actually don't have a current door number 3. I'm sure oh, I can shit. get one. So I have to pick from these right now. God. I mean... Dang. You can you can pick door number three and it will just be a surprise to everybody. Actually, hang on, hang on. You know what? Uh, no, 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 Brian, no, no, no. you do not That's get not to how provide door number three. No. No, 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 no,
Door number three. I was like, I'll give you a door number three. Door number three is carefully curated by friend of the show, Darren. You do not get to step on this hallowed ground. Okay. All right. I'm good with that. I hate every part of this. (laughs) Do you want to take door number three? No. (laughs) (laughs) What number was Vigilante? 29. Number three. 29. And I'm assuming that that Suicide Squad, if that's issue 5 of number 1, is a uh, volume 1 is a John Ostrander issue. Uh, I'm sure it probably is. I can tell you in a minute. Oh, God. Uh, it is a John Ostrander issue. I feel like that's going to be one of the closest things to a safe bet anyone gets in this. But I will not influence Jin's decision. Oh, but it's Suicide Squad and I, I historically... Fucking hate Suicide Squad. I mean, you I will, I'll give you the title. It's called The Flight of the Firebird. I'm looking them up on Comixology. Oh, no. Come on. But you get to see the cover. Uh, uh, weirdly enough, I'm going to go with Vigilante. Okay. Now, do you want me to give you the, the issue description before you make that decision? You can go ahead. The squad is sent into Russia to bring back a now-famous dissident. But getting in and around the USSR is no easy matter, especially when they will have a wanted prisoner with them. So the squad is bringing the penguin along for the ride. Yeah, that's the suicide squad. Oh, no. I'm going to go with Vigilante. I'm going to go with Vigilante. Because right. it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a new arc that begins on number 29. And yeah, I'm just going to go with that. It's fine. It's going to be fine. This is fine. Can I reserve the right to switch? <laughs> nope. No, but... There's always door number three. Uh, no, vigilante. I hate myself. May May eighty six. Yep. Yep. yep, yep. <sighs> I'm looking forward to next week's episode already. Do we want to tell everybody what we're doing next week, Allie? Uh, we're talking about comics. Weird. Yeah. We are talking about the books that have trickled out over the last few weeks. Um, we may go quickly through some things. I'm sure we'll go quickly through some things. I hope we go quickly through some things. Yeah. Uh, I can tell you that my list of stuff that I have picked up, uh, in that time is about 80 issues. About right. Which sounds like a lot, but for a month, that's not very much for me. For six weeks, I think it's been, but it's not very much for me. Um... And that includes some digital first stuff that we may not spend a lot of time on. Yeah. And we're definitely, I mean, we're definitely not going to cover all of anywhere close to all of yeah. these. So. Um, yeah. But we're going to try to get caught up, hit some highlights of things, perhaps have an extended, is it still good uh, to plow through what we can there. Um, so yeah, it's, it's going to be a catch if up. everything comes everything comes together like we expect it to we should probably even be doing solicitations again i think we will be able to um yeah sweet that is our hope we'll say it that way and that's how the sausage gets made yeah yeah (laughs) sorry so it should be much more like one of our traditional regular yeah but still with a long box book report god yes god (laughs) well and it's it's worth saying that I think in all likelihood, like, we'll swing back to a more traditional episode next week and then probably start either alternating or one regular episode, two trade episodes, 
it looks like it's probably gonna be about August before publishing is back to normal. Right. Um, and who knows how normal it will stay going into the fall. So we're gonna just kind of play it by ear through the rest of the year. Yeah. Um, the good news is there are certainly enough trades for us to talk about whenever we need to. Yeah. Hey, <laughs> I have procured the entire TKO library. <laughs> Um, not to mention some other stuff. So, yeah, we can keep going indefinitely if we need to. All right. All right. I think that's it for this week. I do, too. We would like to thank Chase Parker for our intro voiceover. Uh, you can find us on our website, on Patreon. Uh, you can get merch at bit.ly slash panelology merch. You can send us questions to our mailbag. Jen, don't judge me. Hang on. <laughs> Aha, uh-huh, that was the laughter of judgment. I heard it. I did too. Nope, I'm good. Cool. Uh, you can send us mailbags at bit.ly slash panelology merch. Mailbags. Questions. Nope. <laughs> we do all that. That's also not the URL for that. Fuck me. <laughs> wow, sir. Legit snack. <laughs> and they're feasting now. <laughs> You can get merch at bit.ly slash merch, capital P, capital M. You can send us questions, comments, whatever you want to be read on the show at bit.ly slash mailbag, capital P, capital M. Um, I think that's it for me. Jen, Brian, either of you want to add anything else? Uh, no. A short episode, we said. It's going to be quicker <laughs> this week, we said. Sure. Hey, hey, I didn't go beat by beat this time. <laughs> you can't blame this one on me. You listed I mean, you can, every but... character Everything. created. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you went pretty much beat by beat. I did not go beat by beat. You didn't go beat by beat until the last issue, or the last arc. Okay, well, that was just because those characters were also amazing. I wanted to mention. Not disagreeing with the choice there, just gonna make you start editing. <laughs> My name is Alex. I'm Jenna. And I am Brian. Go read comics. <laughs>